Hi, hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume, and today's guest is the costume designer, Jen Rogan. She's been the designer for Girls on HBO since it started, as well as Orange is the New Black on Netflix, which has a new season that just came out a few weeks ago. We talked about her experience working on both of those shows, as well as a whole lot more, so let's get into it. Season six, that's the last season? Yeah. Wow. Final season. How much, uh, sorry, it's the final season. Last season sounds a little... Either way, yeah. either way, <laughs> season What's, six. Uh, yeah, how far how far along are you guys? Uh, we are into our first couple of episodes. Oh wow! So we kind of just started. Yeah, how are you gonna feel when it's done? Well, we get to look forward to it airing in January, so right. it's gonna be a drawn out process. <laughs> but there's already some preemptive nostalgia happening. Right, right. Have they done like? Has there been anybody where they're like, okay, that's a wrap on so and so? No, we're super early in the season okay. still, so we yeah. haven't had that. Yeah, I feel like that's when the waterworks start. Yeah, coming, probably. You know. <laughs> um. So where'd you grow up? Uh, out west in the mon- in the mountains. Where? In the, okay. Well, there's was, a lot of mountains, <laughs> a lot out, of mountains west. out there. Um, I was born in Montana. Okay. And spent a few years there, hopping in and out. My parents moved around a lot. They have a thing for Montana that they really wanted to live there. Neither of them is from there originally. Okay. Um, and then they ended up settling in Idaho when I was in high school. Okay. So, why, why that region? Um, is that where they're from? Mountains. My dad's a skier. Okay. Uh, no, my dad's from Michigan. My mom's from North Dakota. Okay. So they just, I don't know, the romance of the Mountain West, Rocky Mountain West. So where'd you guys spend a lot of time, like, going out in the parks, going out um, in the wilderness? Yeah, my parents were big campers. Yeah. Uh, but what about you? Were you... <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, when okay. you're little, you don't have any choice, right? You, you sort of go along for the ride. Yeah. Um, we have some pretty adorable pictures of me, like, taking a bath in a, in a, it's actually a canner, but my parents used it for heating water on the campfire. Okay. I sound so rustic. I've come so far <laughs> since then. Well, this will just start at the beginning. Um, don't worry about that. Right. You know? But I still, ironically, I do own a canner now because I do occasionally can <laughs> things that I grow on my rooftop in Brooklyn. So I right. apparently still am a hick um, <laughs> deep underneath. You can tell, take the girl out of the Rockies, but right. can't take the Rockies out of the girl. Right. Um, but then we did three years in Indiana. My dad okay. was getting his PhD at IU. So I ended up doing junior high and high school. Very weirdly formative years in Indiana. So just like straight lace, like regular kind of experience. Well, it's a university town. Uh-huh. So in the middle of Indiana, it's like super freewheeling, hippy dippy progressive liberal right. politically engaged because the university is the town it's such a big right. it was at the time this is you know 25 30 years ago i kind of I, um, I understand that yeah i went to school that was like in the middle of nowhere yes just like you the, know town cropped up exactly so the education and yeah. in, in, in the educational environment really influences the town and really good friends there and uh it was the first time i wasn't in a one-room school because i went to very small schools when i was in grade school wow so like what was that what was that experience like for you the culture shock was pretty significant when I was in seventh grade, yeah. but you're in seventh grade. So the culture shock Everything. is significant anyway. Yeah. Um, and because in Indiana, the junior high system starts at seventh grade, everyone just assumed I was from the other school. So I didn't have any of that weird odd man out. You weren't like the girl who came down from the mountains. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I wasn't that weird mountain girl who had grown up with wolves and no, I'm, I'm painting yeah. a more extreme picture than it actually was. We were, we were mostly civilized. Um, but the, the culture shock was more of, on the scale of there are 750 people in two grades. Right. And I came out of a school of 50 people in right. eight grades. Was that hard for you to like adjust to that? Um, I'm sure it was like at the time, yeah. but I, I also got tracked into 
classes that for the first time were really engaging. Mm. Um, so that actually ended up working really well. How so? Um, like, what were the things that you were digging? Well, I would when you when you transfer to a new school, they just sign you up for the classes, right? Regardless of of yeah, anything. Yeah, I don't even know if like I had options. Uh, in school. Yeah, and yeah. I don't and I don't know that my parents knew either because it's the first time that we were in a school with multiple options for right. like you had history, but then you had advanced history, and then you had GT history, and then you, there were several options for history. Okay. Um, and so I just ended up first of all in just regular regular classes, and then they started sort of tailoring it to fit. Uh, not my interest so much as as my speed of learning. I read really fast. I okay. always have. My husband makes incredible amounts of fun of me because we cannot read things over each other's shoulder. Right. Because I'm flipping pages and he's like, I'm you, still And in you're the just like, paragraph. come on, am I ready? And then he's got yeah, the anxiety if you want to go to the next page. Yeah. He's reading for, for comprehension uh-huh. and digestion and I'm reading to get the gist. Yeah. So it's just different approaches. Um, so they started tailoring uh, my class schedule to that. And then I actually found a community of nerds and weirdos like me. And so it was great. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, what were the things that you were into at that time? Um, believe it or not, I've always been really into science and math. Yeah. And so I was in, you know, advanced history, which is crazy. Cause I had, I had a history teacher. She was us history, but she would do these kooky things like bring in potluck meals on Fridays. And so one of her, she had like, hundred year old eggs and fiddlehead ferns. I was in seventh grade in what? Indiana and I'd never seen any of this stuff before. And I thought it was so cool. And you were like into it? Like, it was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I've always loved fiddlehead ferns since then. They're an edible thing. Yeah. They're amazing. No, they're the um, little, like, um, they, they're little compact yes. swirls yeah. and these were pickled. So I, oh, okay. Well, yeah, sort I can, of mind I can blowing. Me- yeah, I can mess with anything. That's pickled, yeah, it was so. middle. It was mind blowing. Same thing with like hundred year eggs, right? Like they're pickled, right? Uh, I don't no? know. Okay. I don't, I, that I was a little weirded out by that. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and I do have some weird eating issues as I've realized we all do. Right. Um, so the fiddlehead friends were right up my alley, but the, the pickled eggs were not my jam. Yeah. I, I love pickled things. I just, I can't get into pickled eggs. I like some pickled things. Yeah. We pickle our own jalapenos, mm-hmm. which I'm learning to love. And I love <laughs> dill pickles, but I do not like New York style half sour pickles oh no i see i don't mess with the half sours i go full sour i don't i don't like new york pickles at all i guess that makes me a jerk um i also well, don't like brownies or apple pie i'm well. i'm that person i'm totally that person no i like a classic dill pickle like really dilly and garlicky not and like a full sour new york no i mean i live wa- one block away from the pickle lady yeah who used to be in the lower east side yeah, and yeah. is now in clinton hill yeah yeah huh yeah right. i don't like deli pickles i like that sour thing isn't, it's neither here nor there for me. You just need a, I, just, I need a commitment. Oh, I need, wow. I need one direction or the other. You know, this isn't going to be turned into a podcast about interviewing, about arguing about pickles, <laughs> pickle preferences, possible. but okay. <laughs> I get it. I appreciate why they exist in the world. I disagree. <laughs> okay. Agree That's to disagree. Agree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So you're into math and science. Yeah, I was at the time. And you know, like what, where did that come from? Um, well, my parents are, are both par- educators. Oh, okay. uh, my dad's whole family is construction engineering. My dad's a teacher, now a professor. Um, my mom taught math for a while. Now she's a uh, nurse practitioner. Was They're, it a thing that they were like, you got to get into this? No, or it was not just like- necessarily. Um, but I sort of grew up with, the, you know, to get a good job, to be employed, you should probably study things that 
will help you right. later in life, right. which math and science were definitely those things. That's true. Um, but I always took advantage of my English class to do craft projects. Mm-hmm. So you should, I should have known that something was up. Like when, craft pro- projects in English class, like instead of doing a book report, you could like I make would, something about it yeah, or something? Yeah, like I would make a chariot. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah, I, I was like, or a doll dress. I was like, could I make a video instead of writing an essay? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, that's cool. Because yeah, like cool. the teacher's like, I don't want to read like 30 essays. Like Totally. I, you know, give me something different to chew on. That, yeah. You know? So anytime I could do something like for history class, if we could, like I would bake a cake in this, <laughs> the shape of my state. If that, if that was the option, if there was yeah. a, a hands-on creative DIY make it yourself thing, yeah. that was the angle I always wanted to take, which you can't do with lab experiments. <laughs> no. That doesn't really fly. No, it doesn't. You so, kind of got to stick to the script on that. But, Not a lot of improv in science. Yeah. You know, if I would have had this conversation 20 years ago, I could have saved myself a quarter-life crisis. Because <laughs> it really mean? is revealing to me that I really need the organized, methodical things in my life. Right. I'm super organized and very type A at work, which a lot of people are really surprised to hear. But I also need that. But in this arena, I can blow it up. Right. I can do something weird. I can make it myself. I can... Oh, you know, it just, it, I really, I need that balance. Right. I need the super organized in order to have the creative freedom. That makes sense. I mean, and especially too, like, you know, if you're working on a project where there's like, you know, 20 principles or something like that, like where it's just like, you need to know like what uh-huh. they're wearing at every day, I like at every turn. 64 principles. Oh my month ago. God. And let me tell you that Excel spreadsheet was my <laughs> lifesaver <laughs> because he, I didn't know. I couldn't keep all of that it's information like, in my head. Of, of, nobody could. Right. <laughs> be, but like, I mean, I'm pretty good. But yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I need Damn. that foundation. I need that organizational foundation. So, so then the you can jump off of it. Yeah. With yeah, yeah, yeah. the doing baking cakes for history. That makes sense. It's like, you know, I think you can't really make, you know, the people that make the best abstract art are the people that have like mastered the craft. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you got to know the rules to break the rules. Exactly. Yeah, that was my first semester art teacher (laughs) at Yale saying, "You got to learn all. You got to learn all the rules first, and then you can start breaking." Okay, wait. Before we go there, wait. So, so what? What were the kind of like things you were doing in high school besides, you know? It was sort of the full roster of GT classes. If it was gifted and talented, I signed up for it. Yeah. Um, and I ended up transferring high schools between freshman and sophomore year. Which was fine because again, the school that I went to went into started at sophomore year, so I wasn't. Everyone just assumed I came from the other junior high. So uh, beyond the complete social awkwardness of just being a nerd, yeah, which I am, it's fine. It's, I'm, it's I've, cool. I've come to own that now. Yeah. Um, it was all about like I was one of those type A overachiever students. It was all about the grades and the activities and and all that stuff. And then I took theater classes to to be my blow off class. Right. And of course would then spend the entire theater class in the library researching stage makeup <laughs> or, you know, 1940s costume or where do you think that came from? I have no idea. Are, are, are either your folks like that? Do you have brothers and sisters? Um, I would say that my dad is a bit of a performer in that he is a teacher, Yeah, but he understands the communication elements of being a teacher. Um, it, it's not just the imparting information part. He understands that he needs to read his audience as well. He's really he's a really brilliant public speaker. Were the people that you were hanging out with were they also like in the same kind of vibe? Like, or were you? I mean, like... I've always been the lone wolf weirdo person. Oh, okay. Um, in that like in the theater crowd, I yeah. was the straight laced one. Right. And in the GT crowd, I was the weird theater kid. Right. So I've always been the not quite fully integrated member of whatever group that I'm completely in. understand that <laughs> so. there's like there's this line I think about that all the time there's this line from the Simpsons it was like a treehouse of horror episode 
where Dr. Hib- Bart has like an evil twin that, and that, that they find out about. And like Dr. Hibbert's like, you know, he's like, he was too crazy for boys town and too much of a boy for crazy town. Yeah. That's and I'm just me. like, that, I get it. Totally. It's like, you never feel like you're in your spot with your people. No, you know? but I, but I've definitely but you found still get to, people yeah. that I, that really, I, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what was, so, so what did you want to do? You know, cause I'm sure you had a plan. Oh, I fully had a plan. And I what was did you want to get do? into the best college I could get into. <laughs> um, and I was going to do a lot of extracurriculars that were fun on the side to blow off steam. And I was going to probably be a chemical engineer. So that was my plan. Get into the best school I could get into and, and go to that school and chemical study engineering. chemical engineering. Yeah. Cause that was like a solid line of work. Like you, would... well, and I loved chemistry. Okay. I really loved chemistry. It's, it's well, until I got to PCAM and then I was like, you know, <laughs> maybe I don't love this as much as I thought I did because I'm also almost failing this class because I'm in rehearsals on the spring main stage play because I am stage managing that yeah. and care way more about that. Than... So you're still doing theater stuff. Again. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Yale has probably one of the most active undergraduate extracurricular organizational right. structures in the country. And on top of that, they have the dramat, which is, there's a whole saying about the oldest undergraduate theater organization in the country. And I got sucked in, of course. And the reason I decided to apply to Yale is because I read in their blue book, which is mm-hmm. the pamphlet, the marketing pamphlet, that kids are pushing aside the dining hall tables and chairs and mounting plays in the dining halls after the dining halls closed. And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. I like those people. Yeah, that's cool. That, that calls to me. Um, so that's what I did. But And also just more specifically, like in theater, like what was your specific focus? Like were you on stage? Like what kind of stuff were you doing? I am a terrible actor. <laughs> okay. Terrible. Did you, I was there an that. instance where you learned that? Um, I was, in, I was acting in high school and yeah. then I auditioned at Yale and was so uncomfortable. Yeah. And then got cast as like the frumpy homeless man in the main <laughs> stage. And... Then like the super weird theater kid was hitting on me as I was like, this is, this is not for me. Yeah. This is not for me. Yeah. Um, and I just was really uncomfortable on stage because, which was weird for me because I'm not uncomfortable in public speaking. Right. I'm not uncomfortable on camera. Right. But I was super uncomfortable on stage. Huh. Um, and I think it's because I, I, I don't know how self-actualized or self-realized I actually am, but I didn't feel that need to... I was uncomfortable trying to be someone else. Right. I think I've spent so long defending my nerddom and yeah. like being authentically me that it was really uncomfortable for me to try to not be that. Yeah. I'm sure someone could have a field day with that. Well, well I mean, well, this is the thing. Like with, you know, with such a crazy like focus and determination and you're, you're, you're kind of finding that this thing that you worked towards wasn't specifically what you wanted to do, what... What were your, th- how were you feeling at that moment? It completely made sense. Oh, okay. I, after my first semester there was kind of the, I'm a little bit of a fish out of water, except that I'm completely in the right pond. Right. Because everyone there, everyone, at least my year ran around comparing their SAT scores for the first three days. And then after that, no one ever spoke of them again. Right. Because everyone had a better SAT score than you did. Right. Um, and everyone had a longer list. So of, you're like in your zone. You're with oh, it was people amazing. there. It was yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I was totally, I found my home. <laughs> um, and I've actually said that I would, I would absolutely pay yeah. to do that whole experience again. <laughs> it was life-changing for me. It was amazing. Um, but per- probably on a personal level. Yeah. Because I, you know, I found, I, I found out who I was there, which may have been regardless of institution. Um, which was what? Well, I spent my first semester there doing all the classes you're supposed to do. And it was not for me. That's where I realized that there was that I, as much as I loved, 
chemistry and math and science at the high school level, even though I was going into the college level. When you get into advanced math, where it starts to become beautiful and theoretical, that was not for me. Right. I'm a little bit of a concrete thinker. Okay. And that's where the divide became became apparent. Your beautiful mind levels, your goodwill hunting levels. Yeah, those are not me. Yeah. Nope, that's not me. <laughs> I'm so glad that they are in the world <laughs> because I can't do that. Um, yeah. And that's where, that's where walking away from it was getting to the realization was traumatic, but walking away from it was a release. Really? Oh yeah. I was so, like, did you just feel like open and free? Well, getting to the decision of this thing that I thought I was going to do forever, this chemistry thing, this math thing, that was a little traumatic. Yeah. Cause you know, it's sort of a paradigm shift and identity shift. Um, but then once that, once I crossed over that and also took the final six weeks late after I studied through all of Christmas hiatus <laughs> because I hadn't done my homework, um, that, that really gives you some perspective. And, mm-hmm. and I realized that I didn't want to be sitting in the library doing that. I, I was much happier in the green room at the dramat or doing what, what were you doing there? Whatever. I don't care. Spike, take me out the furniture yeah. because you know, yes, I'm anal retentive and the couch, should, <laughs> the couch should sit where it's supposed to sit. God damn it. Right. Um, and I, you know, I was much happier being in rehearsals from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. every day and then cramming in in stuff. And I was taking art classes the whole time, so I ended up switching my major to art, or to psychology, actually. Yeah. Um, and then adding art my the end of my sophomore year. What was it about the, you know, doing the art classes that got you excited? I was making stuff. Yeah. I was making stuff all had the you, time. Had you not really made stuff before that? I grew up making stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my dad comes out of a construction background. My mom is a big DIYer. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone in my family does well. Not my siblings, but my my parents' level. A lot of them knit or sew or build things, and so it was just very natural. Like I remember sitting on the floor of my parents' kitchen when we moved into that new house in Boise with a crowbar between my legs, ripping up the tiles. Yeah, and it was awesome because yeah. you can get out so much frustration oh, when you're yeah. doing that. Yeah. Um, the reinstall was not my thing, but <laughs> but yeah. it, I sort of grew up with. There were always projects. My dad had a shop. We didn't have a garage. There was a shop. Oh, cool. Where his table saw and his bandsaw and all the sanders and all the tools like that. We never had a garage. We always had a shop. That's cool. Um, and so it was just sort of second nature for me. And I, I ended up falling into the costume shop at Yale because I could sew. Mm. And it wasn't until I got there that I realized that not everyone grew up as with sewing as part of their skill set. Right. Um, and it's something it's, you found that you enjoyed? Like, Yeah, I do enjoy sewing. I don't do it. It's not my primary focus, mm-hmm. um, but I do like knowing that I can sit down and make something if I want to. So that that that's probably the zone where you first kind of realized that working in the costume department was yeah. like where you wanted to be. What yeah, you and that to was do. probably my junior year because it was kind of that. It was the the combination of I'm making stuff, but it's for a, a purpose. Mm-hmm. It has a very specifically scripted prompt, mm-hmm. and that's where, for me, the difference between fashion and fine art and all these other studio arts come in is that. I'm always responding to a prompt and I always have. And so scripted work works really well for me. Right. Because there's something that I'm, there's a, there's a goal. Right. I'm a little right, goal right. oriented. Yeah. If you haven't, haven't been able to tell, I'm a little goal oriented. I need to finish that task. Um, but I want the freedom to be able to approach it. Right. However works. Um, so the costume shop thing really, really ended up working. I stage managed. I hung lights. I did makeup. I did hair. Yeah. I, you do it, kind of do it all. You got to do it all. And, yeah, yeah. And there, there is no undergrad technical training at Yale. You either study writing, directing, or acting, mm-hmm. and I am not good at any of those things. And so I knew that I wasn't going to be in the theater department. So I did all of my theater stuff extracurricularly. Oh, that's cool. Um, which was awesome. I tried to get into the MFA costume shop, but they were like, no. <laughs> Why? Um, I th- think 
I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think that they don't have, there wasn't a precedent for undergrads in the costume shop, which I understand. It's a very oh, small Oh, you were trying program. to get in there as I a, was trying to oh, take, okay. to take MFA courses as an undergrad and okay. they were kind of like, you have an art department, Yeah. you know, finish your art degree. And I was basically trying to get costume classes to count towards my art degree. Turns out I could have done sculpture and I could have made all the dresses I wanted and it would have been fine. But right. Whatever. But, uh, so, so when you're getting towards the end of school, what's in your mind? Like, where's, oh, get where a do job you want to go? Company. Oh yeah. Fully. They're like that, that, that theater thing was not going to pay the rent. I had no idea. Get a job at a big company doing what? Like, well, I, I also love fashion. Yeah. Um, and where does that come from? Do you think? No idea. Yeah. Cause it, I'm, I am definitely the black sheep in the fashion sector in my family. Um, if I don't show up home and someone doesn't say at least one thing that I'm wearing is ugly, I have not done it right. Right, right. Um, right. Usually it's like, man, those sunglasses are ugly. Like, <laughs> thank awesome. you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I don't know. I My mom made clothes, but we have very different taste levels. Yeah. Um, my grandmother on my dad's side is, has always been sort of very chic and very on point. Mm. Um, she's the one that instilled in me that I will never be able to travel in sweatpants. I just can't. <laughs> She I won't let you fly in sweatpants. Well, she never did. She said, we used to dress for flying yeah, back yeah. in the day. And that just stuck with me. Yeah, we also do like um, smoke in airplanes too. We used to do a lot of things we don't do anymore, but yeah. somehow the fashion <laughs> thing stuck with me. <laughs> Look, it's a, We I also mean, used to send mail through a thing called the mailed postal service. Look, I, I still send mail. <laughs> I still, I love a good postcard. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. It is kind of nice to get something that is deeply personal to yes. you in the mail. Yeah. Because I just get a lot of catalogs these days. Right. Which I have the internet for that. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I, I don't know where that comes from. It's been since I was little. I used to go and I loved, I mean, in grade school. Yeah. I loved the dress up part of being in the school plays. Like being in the Christmas pageant. Yeah. My favorite part was the dress up part. That's cool. Um, in high school too. That I I wanted to do the costumes for the plays. Um, so where were you going to go after school was over? Well, what was your I, plan? Uh, because of the fashion thing, I looked into editorial and, and had done... It's called an externship, a couple days in a magazine here in New York. It's like, you know what, that's just, that, that's not quite the right fit for me. Um, and then I had looked at uh, corporate retail. Okay. And I ended up going into corporate retail at Saks Fifth Avenue here in the city. I knew I wanted to move to New York. So that means what? So like, what, what is that? I was exactly in the buying mean? offices. Yeah. So it's actually a ton of math, yeah. <laughs> which was great. Yeah. Um, very organized, which was also great. And yeah. next to fashion, which was great. So right. it kind of was the dream job starting out because I didn't know how to make a job in theater work for me. I didn't know what that career path was. But it was definitely theater that you wanted to work um, in? There was no like production, like film, theater, TV? Theater, production, con- okay. costumes. Yeah. I just wanted to be in costumes. Yeah. And and I just didn't know enough about the industry in New York to know how to get in. And I didn't have right. contacts in that industry either right. because I didn't have costume professors. I didn't have... Um, I totally get it. Like, you know, did I just, you do yeah. like, yeah, I didn't have those connections where I work with people who did study costume design and their professors had worked with somebody who worked on Broadway or their professors right. had worked with someone who's now working on a TV show here in New York. And so you get refer. I just didn't have that. Totally um, or that. I didn't know that I had that through the Yale network. Right. One of the two. Um, and also everyone that I knew was applying into banking or consulting. <laughs> so you have a really strong example of, like the recruiting process and the interviewing process, but you, d- I didn't have a strong example of how to be a freelancer yeah. <laughs> in New York. Um, yeah. And the economy was relatively strong. It was, you know, 2000. So I ended up getting a job at Saks. I did actually go home because I didn't have the job until after I had graduated. So we put a bunch of my crap in storage and I flew home and we did the like crazy New York real estate search with my roommates where I was in Idaho. One was here in New York on the ground. And a third was like with her family somewhere else. So we were all sending 
faxes at the time because yeah. nobody emailed anything and like wiring money and that crazy like first month's last month's security where you oh, feel dude. like, I mean, when you're 21 years old, you feel like you are mortgaging your entire life ahead of you I totally understand. for that first apartment. I used to like DJ like frat parties at college and I would just like <laughs> say, I remember I was just like, I just got to save this money up. So like oh, as soon see, as like May hits. You were making money in college, which is yeah. a step in the right direction. Because <laughs> that, I mean, it is daunting when you move to the city. Hell yeah. And, and my parents were not in a position to help me out very much. So right. I was like, I have got to have a job. And you got to, I mean, that's the thing too. It's like, you got to snatch that place up. Cause it's like here today, gone today. Yeah. And you it know? was, and it was crazier than it is even now. Then, I mean, in 2000, it was like the market, it would, that apartment would be on the market for an hour. So you're working at Saks. What was your, what was your experience like working there? Um, you know, it was awesome. Yeah. It was not ultimately the right fit, but I learned so much about human organization mm. and hierarchies and Excel. Actually, yeah. I ended up going on to train Excel after being there for a couple of years. Um, I, I learned about, and I, I shop with Saks all the time now. So to have kind of an understanding of how retail works on that end, because I'm actually a professional shopper, right? A lot of what I do is shopping. So to understand that the returns that we make are going to hit them. And so if we are a little bit more understanding of their process and maybe reach out and say, when's the best time to bring this back? Like, it really makes my relationships now easier to handle because right. I, I understand a little bit more of that end. But yeah, it was a great learning experience. It turns out that a corporate environment in a cubicle were not for me. And so when did you come to that realization? Um, I was probably a little twitchy from the start. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, conference rooms are not my jam and, yeah. and I don't play the political game very well. I still don't. Yeah. Um, and it just, I didn't see myself. I didn't want my boss's job. Okay. And I think that's something that at the time everyone was like, you know, you want to, you want to not, not, it wasn't personal. Like you want to see yourself in your boss's position so you can grow with the organization. Right. And there was this book, who stole my cheese. And, oh, I think uh, I remember uh, that. Yeah. Was that like some weird, like some weird, like Ayn corporate, Rand kinda... I, I was something about like thriving in the corporate environment yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. I remember some kid in my high school, like having that. Oh, I was like, we had the... conferences on like time management and using <sighs> a personal planner. And I was like, I don't, I don't think this is for me. Yeah. Um, but I met some amazing people there Yeah. who, you know, I still, I'm still friends with today and, and they've gone on in their careers to do other things. And, and because it wasn't quite the right fit, I ended up wanting to do theater after hours. And so I did. I ended up uh, working with Alex Timbers in his company, Leifer Corbusier, years and years ago, um, just helping him get it off the ground and what, then did designing you just, some like, shows for how him. How did you reach out and get in touch with them? Um, well, we had worked together in the dramat. Oh, okay. And he was a year behind me at school. So when he graduated and came to the city, he like sent me an email saying, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this thing. And I was like, yes. Do you yeah. want me to sell tickets? Yeah. I will totally sell tickets. Yeah. I will do whatever <laughs> you want I'm in. I will I will totally do it. I'm, I'm super excited to, so to do some theater work with a viewpoint that I know and familiar with and understand and celebrate, right. You know, this sort of subversive, um, as straightless as I am, I love things that are a little subversive, intellectually subversive okay. or, you know, it's not, not necessarily super fringy, but I just, I love things that have a bit of a sense of humor to them that, I mean, I think you can, the, in the shows that I'm drawn to orange and girls right. and, and you know, the thing, the scripts that I really respond to, there's something that's, that's, uh, so incredibly specific that it becomes a little bit more general. Mm -hmm. I'm not the only one to say that. I heard that on NPR the other day too. <laughs> I was like, that's what I say all yeah. the time. I was yeah. in my car on the BQE being like, I totally say that. Yeah. Um, but I like things that are a little wacky and, and not conservative and that are willing to push the envelope a little bit. That's cool. Um, and that's kind of what Alex's work 
it was and is. And, and so I was like, anything you want me to do, I'm totally in. Uh, I started producing and okay. then ended up uh, sort of segueing into assisting one of his costume designers and then, then designing a couple of shows before I upended my whole life. Yeah, what was the what was <laughs> well, that moment like for you? Um, I, I, while working with one of his designers, actually, she had said that she'd gone to Parsons for their AAS program. So I was like, I can do that. I get it. Um, so I had this moment where I was sitting in her apartment sewing a tie mm-hmm. and just listening to her. We were just chatting and she's like, yeah, I did the AS program at Parsons just to really get some intensive construction experience. She'd also gone to Yale and, and kind of had the same What thoughts. is the AS program? What does um, it's an for? associate's degree. Okay. Okay. It's a lot of career changers. It's a lot of people who either have a degree in some sort of retail and want to be in design. Um, and it's a focus on design. Uh, merchandising, drawing, and construction. Gotcha. And I really, and I knew how to sew, but I wanted a piece of paper, kind of a receipt yeah. that said I knew how to do what I knew how to do. Um, so I did. I quit my job at Saks and I, oh, I applied to Parsons first and got yeah. in and then quit my job at Saks and went back to school full time. And as that was all happening, I was designing a show for Les Frere and a roommate of mine who was in film and said, hey, there's this director guy who's looking for an assistant. He directed secretary. You have to call him back and I was like oh, okay yeah, yeah so I watched secretary and I was like I love this movie yeah, yeah this is totally up my alley in terms of subversive and quirky and yet really well done um so I ended up assisting his name uh, director Steve Steinberg he's totally cool and interesting and, and off the wall so you're doing that while you were in school while I was in school oh, cool. so it totally timed out that I was in school but and he didn't need someone full-time so I ended up doing things like lots of photocopies and getting him lunch and then a year later i realized that i was photocopying his his image deck for the movie that he Mm. went on to do um and then when that movie actually ended up going about a year and a half later i was a pa on that job it was my first my first production job so it's sort of an up end and a complete segue and how how was that it was awesome yeah did you like being on set um Yes and no. I wasn't actually on set that much. Okay. Um, and I am not usually on set all that much. Um, I love being on set for very short intervals. Yeah. And otherwise, it drives me nuts because if I'm on set, I can't do all the other things that my job requires. Right. Um, and so I'm very fortunate that I'm on jobs that has a team that takes care of things on set for me because it's so critical that there is someone on set with the clothes and with the actors and all that stuff as well, you know. Yeah. Um, I was a PA in the costume shop. Yeah. And what I didn't realize at the time is that I was the director's assistant and the director was like, oh, you should go work in costumes, which makes you a must hire, which people hate. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Hate. Oh, yeah. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. I was young and bright eyed and bushy tailed, was super (laughs) excited. When you work with like a New York grizzled crew, there's like. (laughs) It made me the asshole. Of course. I was that kid who was getting shoved on the department. Yeah. And it's this. It was this legendary costume designer and amazing wardrobe supervising team. Like, those poor guys. I look back now and I'm like, man, they must have hated me. (laughs) And all I can say is thank God I knew Excel and didn't suck because I could, like, take care of the returns and and deal with the budgets. And, you know, I was willing to do anything they asked. So it was – I'm hoping that my attitude saved the day. And and I'm thinking that it must have because that wardrobe supervisor is now my wardrobe supervisor. Oh, wow. And that designer and I still end up having, like, a cocktail or a coffee whenever whenever he's in town or whenever I'm in L.A. So thank God it worked out. But I didn't realize at the time that 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 made me the punk kid who the department got stuck with. I know. So. I, I know. I've seen it happen many times. Sometimes so, it works and sometimes it doesn't. Right, right, right. So so after that, what was uh, what was next for you? Um, getting a job. Yeah. Keeping on, keeping I loved it. I was just like in. swinging from vine to I vine. Was, yeah, totally. Yeah. I was all in. And I think something that that 
I, cause I get emails and stuff that people are like, I really want to be in this business. Um, and if it's, if it's someone that I can invite to shadow me, I will, because I don't think that there is a general understanding of what a costume designer does day to day. Right. And that, or, or a director. Yeah. That, like you're completely. getting picked up at four 30 in the morning and you are still on set at 11 o'clock that night sometimes. Right. And, and like, I'm not out shopping and you're not always working with like the most favorable conditions yeah. or sympathetic crew right. or, you know what I mean? And, I and, and that's not to say that what I do sucks or is hard. Like I was actually yesterday, I was like, I can't get, I can't believe I get paid to do this. Yeah. This I is know. So much fun. I, I love this. No, I know. It's like, it's like a blessing whenever like a project gets to go. Uh, yeah. No matter totally. what it is, like every time I'm like, this is awesome. I'm just, I'm just fighting to do what I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and, but there is, there is that, that challenge side, yeah. which is the hours are crazy long. And, and from my perspective, it's, it's never my project or my money. Right. I'm always working in support of a director or a script or a writer or a team. And so I'm not just pulling awesome clothes that I love. Right. Cause that's actually, oftentimes the gross pajamas are actually the better choice yeah. for the scene or the character yeah, yeah, yeah. or the a costume. So, um, that I was all in. Those hours were crazy. It was, it was, it wasn't an indie film, but it was like a tier, tier one. Right. So it was, it was majors. So it was a union job, but it wasn't, it wasn't super funded. It, right. But it was Nicole Kidman and Robbie Downey Jr. So it had this like, this glam aura about it. It was, there was a lot of interesting, interesting things that had, looking back, I probably could have learned even more than I did. That's cool. Had I been more aware of what it was, but I was learning so much about just the world of production that, that it's kind of it's like a moving freight train and you're either on it or you're not. Right. And I was on it. I was on. So I just had to keep, have keep, keep finding jobs. And I got to be buddies with the art department PA and he recommended me for another film that was looking for oh, cool. a PA to just schedule fittings. And I was like, great, I'll do that. And then I hooked up with the wardrobe supervisor who kept hiring. So it's just, you know, it's that yeah. networking thing that you kind of got to do. Oh, I get it. So was that the time period? Um, Cause I remember like after nine 11, when a lot of productions kind of left New York and like there wasn't a lot of production so much happening here. Or was this when it had started coming back? In, I, I probably got into production around 2004. Okay. So I've been doing 12-ish years ago. And had a good long run. Mm-hmm. And started kind of in film, actually. Because you, it seems like the balance has swung from film to television in New York in the last about six to eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were tons of films that came in every summer. Blockbustery, huge. And now it seems like there's a couple films that come in, but there's something like 20 television shows yeah. or maybe even more. I, I'm pulling that number out of thin air. No, I might it's be definitely like television city, but yeah, it's, there's a lot of series that are running in the city, uh, which is great. It makes for year round work, which is awesome because the film production schedule is a little bit more seasonal. Um, and at the time I started in film, so I was doing a lot of just sort of hopping movie to movie. And then when I got into the union, I was on a film and had just gotten in and then was like, Oh shit, what's my next job? Right. So you pay all this money, all that money to get without a guarantee yeah, yeah, yeah. of work because it's not, it's not a typical union hall where you call and you put your name on the list. Like right. the creative unions are much more about the team that you work with and kind of finding your own work and make sure you're treated right on set. And uh, yeah, exactly. It's about yeah, hours and hours, rates yeah. and, and stuff like that. And so I didn't have a job. I got into the union, but I didn't have a job right after that. So it was, I, I took a sort of, uh, New York unit of a film that was going to Bulgaria with a supervisor that I knew. Um, and then that supervisor was, was going on to a TV show. Oh, wow. So I ended up just flipping over into TV yeah. through no other 
just, just through circumstances. So you were just kind of working your way up through the ranks of like the costume department? <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and you were like loving every part of it? Yeah, I did. I was a PA. Yeah. I learned to drive like a taxi driver. I mm-hmm. still do. I mm-hmm. still drive myself in the city, which a lot of costume designers have drivers because they either, in the, back in the day, they used to come in from LA and didn't want to drive into New York or whatever. And I'm like, nope, give me, I want to be behind the wheel. It's the best uh, way. Uh, yeah. My, my first production job, I drove the camera truck, and once you which was like a 25 foot yeah. cube truck. Oh. And I'm just like, Yep. I know I, I know, you know how the to, streets. I can I I know the streets. Yep. You know the back ways. <laughs> um so and and we drive a lot because Orange shoots up in Rockland County a lot, Girl yeah. shoots on location a lot. So I end up doing a lot of driving and I just I'm more comfortable behind the wheel, weirdly mm-hmm. enough. Um and then I was a coordinator, which is kind of the the center of the wheel of the costume department. Every you're at the you're at the desk in the office, but everything comes through you receipts and fitting right. schedules and things that are the clothes that are going to set and kind of you're the center of the universe and your goal oriented mind though were you tra- you were going for like costume designer like head of the department that's what you wanted to do um, or were you just like kind of just feeling your I way was through content it to be in the costume shop yeah i didn't care i wanted to be in the shop somehow um but i i always gravitated toward the design end of things there's two parts to a costume department mm-hmm. one is the costume design end of it and one is the wardrobe team right and they are sort of they're two halves of the whole. And uh, I had signed up to be in the wardrobe union as well to be on set. And it just, I didn't pursue it. It wasn't the right thing for me. And I ended up getting into the design union and that was a much better fit than, cool. than being on set. I do enjoy being on set, but I don't want to be on set all day, every day. What was your experience working like on a uh, board to death? I loved that show. Yeah. I loved that show. Um, it was great. I was assisting over there, mm-hmm. so I w- learned a lot from from watching that process unfold for a half-hour comedy. Uh, I had worked with that designer, Dan Lawson, who's amazing. Uh, that was my second show with him, I think. I okay. ended up working for him for about five years. Oh, wow. Um, and I just adore him, and he's still a really good friend of mine. And it was a lot of watching him handle that, because we'd come off of this massive one-hour drama Um that was about a fictional kingdom. So it was tons of uniform creation and a Royal family, and right. Warring armies and the whole thing. And so watching this sort of lighthearted light on its feet, vintage inspired show, uh, was really fun. And it was yeah. really fun to be a part of that shopping. And then, and then as the, as it progressed, we sort of grew together and Dan, uh, relied a little bit more on my shopping and a little bit more on, on my being on set to cover the design so he could, you know, get, keep going with the fittings and and it was just a it was a really great experience and hanging out with ted jason ted danson and yeah. jason schwartzman and zach galifianakis is is a dream yeah those guys are hilarious <laughs> yeah the best yeah. like in all different ways too yeah totally like three different styles of comedy and i don't think anybody expected ted to fit in like one of the guys yeah and he totally did oh yeah and i yeah it was just the chemistry was amazing that's so cool it was an amazing and i did end up actually not going back for the last season uh, we were flipping between Bored to Death and The Good Wife, and I was mm-hmm. assisting Dan on Good Wife as well. And then for their season four, I had actually gotten the job to design season one of Girls. Yeah, so how did that all come about? Uh, the UPM, at the time UPM, one of the producers on The Good Wife had mentored under one of the executive producers on Girls. And they had shot the pilot, and I had heard Lena actually talking on NPR about shooting the pilot and about the project. And uh, I think she was actually there to talk about Tiny Furniture as well as the pilot. And I just thought, wow, she's so smart. She's so well-spoken. Mm-hmm. What a cool thing. I hope I get to work with her someday. And I, I didn't, didn't connect the dots at that point. But the producer on The Good Wife was out having dinner, catching up with her mentor, basically, from 
from girls and it came up that girls had gone that they'd gotten the pickup for series and they were looking for some crew and they have to be looking for a costume center and uh, my producer on Goodwife was like I have someone for you she's she actually um approached my boss first because taking someone's assistant away from yeah, them oh, especially yeah. when you've oh, yeah, been yeah, yeah, yeah. such a symbiotic team for a while is kind of a big deal so she talked to him first and he was like yeah absolutely you should recommend her and from there, I had to write a cover letter. I had to write the most important cover letter of my life yeah. um, and send over my resume. And then I got a meeting and um, I did a pitch. I, I pulled Did they send images. you the script or were, like, did you um, know like what the show was about? I didn't get the script. I believe I popped by the production office to screen the pilot episode that had already oh, been cut. Okay. Um, so I took tons of notes and ended up doing boards for, I think, 14 of the characters. 12 wow. or 14 of the characters. As the your girls, audition for that role. Yeah, basically as my audition. Wow. And I still do that. I still do I still do a design pitch for every, every for the key characters for every job. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that meeting, I got a second meeting. Um, and then I got a call while I was, I was driving back to set, I think to check background on Good Wife. And, and Gina, our producer, called me and was like, we'd like to offer you the job. And I was like, oh, thank man. God I pulled over to take this phone call. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, that was pretty rad. That's amazing. What, well, well, you know, besides like uh, that that interview, listen to what else was it about that drew you to that show and to working with Lena? There were a lot of things. Number one, they were going to let me design a show, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> um, and uh, number two, I'd heard Lena on NPR and I'd heard her talking about her work, and I was really inspired by her and and really intrigued by her approach. And I went out and then I actually watched Tiny Furniture. It was still at I think IFC mm-hmm. when I was when I was interviewing, and I loved it. I was like, this is exactly the kind of stuff that I want to work on. It's, it's raw and it's, it's real and it's not shy and it's funny. Mm-hmm. Even though it's really serious, it's really funny. Right. And, and that sounded awesome. Mm-hmm. And I saw the pilot and I loved the pilot. What, what, you know, what was that like? You know, was there any sorts of growing pains for you? Like, you know, those first couple of weeks or months like when you're like head of the department and you're like totally <laughs> totally I go I went in knowing that I was a first-time designer yeah and while I was not a first-time costume department member that it was important that I that I bring my a-game and I made sure to crew up and staff myself my department with people right. who had more experience than I did so that I wasn't afraid to ask the questions. It is why I hired the first wardrobe supervisor I'd ever worked for. Yeah. Know, she's one of the best in the business. And I was like, I, I need yeah, her. I need you. Yeah, I yeah. need her. Um, you know, I hired an assistant who had experience. I hired um, as many people as I could yeah. to, to back me up. And, and I spent, you know, a lot of time, a lot of time making sure all the bases were covered and all the shopping was perfect and, all the accessories were there and you know, now we're pretty relaxed and groovy about it cause we, we know what we're doing, but I really did want to, and, and making sure I hit my budgets right? and making sure that Lena had options to choose from or Lena and her writer for the episode had options to choose from. So yeah, I was very, I was a thousand percent there all the time. That's and cool. not to say that I'm not that now, but I know a little bit more about what things are going to go to camera and what things just don't matter. Right. 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 Um, right. I mean, you guys have been doing it for what? Like six years now. Six so, years. Yeah. yeah. And I've done, you know, orange for, for four years and you know, this is my 12th year in the business. So it's not, I know a little bit more about things to back off on or right. things where the energy isn't going to merit you a result that's going to help you. Right. Um, yeah. What, what was it? What was, what was it like when that show started taking off? Like when did you know that like things were we starting to get crazy? We didn't know until we went back in for season two. Yeah. We had shot all of season one 
during the summer and it didn't air until April. Right. And so we were already, I was already quietly back at my desk for season two when season one started airing. And I just remember that everyone was talking about how many Twitter followers Lena was, was accumulating. <laughs> they were, they were jumping by the tens of thousands. Yeah. And she did like an AMA on Reddit that was, that like her Twitter feed blew up. Um, and it was the first time that I'd ever heard anyone talking about social media numbers mm. in relationship to a project that I was on. That's interesting. Where that's how people were talking about the show. Did you feel any burden or pressure since you knew that there were more eyeballs on what you were doing? Yes and no. No in that we were already prepping season two. And mm-hmm. so we had already we had already dialed in the inspiration. We'd already set the shopping in motion. We'd already done some fittings. And... and from that point forward, I just tried to make sure that the choices were true for character right. and true for story. Right. And I still do that. I, I, I try not to pick things because I think people are going to love them. Well, right. But I mean, I, love them. I could imagine it's kind of hard sometimes like working in a way where, you know, that show, I think more than all, many other shows, like just gets scrutinized to like the nth degree, like every little detail, you know? I think a lot of television gets scrutinized to the nth degree now with well, n- yeah, like, on demand and with binge watching and you know people sit down and watch everything all at once and so you can see character arcs over episodes it's a show though i feel like everybody thinks they haven't everybody has an opinion well yeah because everyone was 25 once yeah same thing like dressing a character in jeans and a t-shirt yeah everyone is an expert on jeans and a t-shirt um those are actually the characters i hate dressing what's your favorite thing that's come from working on that show i mean (laughs) all of it i i have grown up personally so much as a part of the experience um I have so much gratitude to Lena and Jenny and Eileen and Gina, our producing team over mm-hmm. there, um, for giving me the shot and for being super supportive and trusting and kind of letting Lena and me go and, and do what we're doing. Right. You know, Lena gives me inspiration images, Jenny gives me inspiration images, and we take off and do it and send photos. And, and everyone's really chill about just letting us sort of do our thing. Um, and... And there's been there's been so many positive things that have come out of that show. Yeah, I was a bit surprised season two when people wanted to talk about the clothes. I was like, they're all from the thrift store, guys. Yeah, <laughs> but they were real and they resonated. Right, and that was incredibly gratifying. And then all of a sudden they're on the cover of the style section of the New York Times, and it's like, whoa, that's cool. This is a thing. Yeah, I had no idea. What? How did Orange is the New Black come about? Was that something that just came up and you like uh, you uh, pitched on? Or one of the amazing things that happened to me as a result of Girls is I I synced up with an agent who's awesome, mm. and Orange had come across her desk, and she's really good at matching people in projects. That's cool. Really, really good. Um, and so she called me and she said, "So Genji Cohen," I was like, "Please get me a meeting." Yeah. She, she didn't even finish the yeah, statement. Yeah. I was like, "She said Genji Cohen." We'd watch Weeds. And I was, yeah. I was a big fan, and I was like, "Yes, please." Please, she's like, well, it's about a present. I was like, great, yeah, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, and I ended up having a Skype meeting with Genji, her team in LA, and the producers here in New York. And I did send them. I don't remember my image pitch because it, well, I knew that the present uniforms were going to be a significant portion of it. Right. Well, that's something that's so interesting to me, right? Because I'd imagine for people who don't know what goes into it, they like, you know, I'm sure people come to you like, oh, it must be simple. Like you just put them <laughs> in prison uniforms, and like, but it's like to me, it's like everybody has to have their own personalized look and it's almost so much harder because how do you give them that feeling when you have such limited things to work with? Both points well made. But like everybody does have their own look on that show. You know what I mean? It is very well defined, but, and that's why, that's why it's so amazing to me because the, the, you know, the, the options that you have for the prison, you know, there's six items. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Six items. Um, yeah, but it's so amazing. It's like, it's a really, it's really, really cool how you do it. I love that. Why I thought it was fun. Thank you. Thank you for that. Truly. Um, that's why I was like a prison show. Yeah, that's cool. 
Yeah. Um, you know, we've got, I think, 80 principal inmate characters, mm-hmm. which is a ton. And we spent a lot of time seasons one and two. Most of them now. We got a lot of new inmates last season. Um, but seasons one and two, we would do fittings for for inmate uniforms. Yeah. Because um, it was important that Piper looks like Piper. And she's very straightforward. There's no rolling of her cuffs. There's right. no rolling of her sleeves. Nothing gets tucked in. She wears the boots all the time. Where you look at Nikki and like her pants are tucked into her socks. And one sleeve is rolled and one sleeve is down. Yeah. And she's breaking all the rules. But yeah, duh, she's a rule breaker. Like, boy. Well, <laughs> what was your research for that? Like, did you uh, did you go to get to visit any prisons um, or just? Our, our producing team did. Yeah. And we actually have a technical advisor oh, on awesome. that show. And we spent a lot of time on the phone with him and then her we had a couple different ones season one just mm-hmm. asking about like what is it really like uh piper is mm-hmm. a consulting producer on the show right amazing and had some really great information and then we took some liberties we there are a complete set of rules over there many of which are things that we've made up for the show that suit the story of the show but are based on real inmate rules right um and so we really we take all of that into consideration and we still do look up like when we're trying to figure out a commissary list we look at the actual commissary list before we gauge whether or not that's going to be part of the the and our writers have the list and so right. it's it's a big collaboration but but there's a lot of institutional knowledge no, for it's the great. show. I mean those are the those are the little things like it's like you shouldn't be noticing those things, yeah, right? You know what I mean? Exactly. Like those things just need to blend in and just, just like build it, build it to make it feel need to build the story. authentic and make it feel real. You know what I mean? Yeah. You shouldn't notice the clothes. You should notice the character. Right. But, but it's all, it's all playing a part to just to service the story. Yeah. You know what, you know what I mean? But I'm exactly. saying like it, it does have a feel like I've never seen prison shot in that way. Before. And that was deliberate. You know? We didn't, we, we had a lot of conversations at the beginning. We don't want it to feel like Oz. No. We don't want it to feel like a sitcom. Right. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about how Grey's Anatomy looks so great and everyone's in a new uniform and it's scrubs, but because they've all been tailored. So we don't do alterations on the prison uniforms yeah. unless there's a character reason to do so or unless there's a significant size reason to do so. That it just, it would, the uniform would be overwhelming in a way that's not funny or right. not helpful right. um, for some of our petite actors. So it was that, and then the flashback elements were really compelling to yeah, me. Yeah, is, is that like your time to like play and just like... To, yeah, a little not, bit. I'm not saying you don't get to play in the prison because like, but I'm saying like... But that's where we kind of break out of the it's box. It's almost you're breaking yeah. out too with, yeah, with the do. characters, you know? Well, and there's always the challenge of making sure that the character, that we still know who that character is mm-hmm. when many of the times we've gotten to know the character in prison before we ever see them in a flashback. Right. So their, their flashback wardrobe needs to feel true. It needs to feel like they're not in a costume. They need to feel like they're in their life, but outside of prison. Right. Um, so that part's, that part's fun. And we basically get to do a mini period movie for a bunch of these episodes. Yeah. You know, we've gone back as, as early as the late fifties, early sixties. We've gone back to last year. So we get to do a period show every episode. What, what do you look forward to the most? Like when working on that show? I always want to know who, which characters are going to get their flashbacks. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, we all have our favorites. Yeah. Um, and I always want to know what their backstory is. Because yeah. for a lot of these characters, I don't actually know what their backstory yeah, is. Yeah. It, I love that part They're of the in show. prison. Yeah. And we get hints. I'm dying to know what Frida, what, what's Frida's backstory? Come on, guys. Um, and, you know, I love the Flocka backstory because I didn't expect that. And, you know, the Nikki backstory is heartbreaking. And we know a little bit more about Piper's and it's always really it's really fun to go outside and see her life because we now have gotten to know her so well and she's changed so much that the stuff that we shopped for her for her season one flashbacks doesn't necessarily resonate. It doesn't, it doesn't work now. Um, So we have seen these characters grow up inside the facility as well. And then we get the new characters, you know, we have V season two 
man that so the intense. cast in that show is just it's bananas man it's awesome it's just it's crazy yeah you know what what do you think what do you think your favorite thing is that you know working in production has allowed you to do find a job that really suits me yeah you know i love that uh not every day is the same some days i'm upset some days we're on location sometimes i'm i start in the stores some days i start pulling with a vintage resource there's enough unknowns with enough knowns. It's mm-hmm. that thing we went to back to earlier. <laughs> yeah. I could have saved myself a quarter life crisis. <laughs> um, you know, that balance really works for me and it doesn't work for everybody. Sometimes like, I've had a couple of people shout at me and they're like, Oh, this is awful. How do you function at five 30 in the morning on yeah. set? Cause I'm not doing it every day at five 30, right. but I don't mind five 30, five 30 works for me. And, and I know that I have a task list set and I know that production has a list of things that I'm going to need to meet. Right. And I'm free to make those work however I need to make them work. What are the things that are still, that you find frustrating? Ugh. Some days you're just like, fuck, <laughs> nothing <laughs> is working. It, you know, whether it's logistics or whether it's difficult personalities at any level. Right. Sometimes you're like, man, why does this PA blow? Yeah. And I, you know, I have such a soft spot for PAs. I was a PA. I get it. That job can be terrible and hard and oh, you're yeah. not getting paid a lot of money. But if you're a good PA, you learn everything there is to learn about right. production. And if you're a sucky PA, you just make everyone's life miserable. And as a PA, you are both the center of the department and not at all the center of the universe. And so sometimes when you, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, we have fabulous PAs. I'm really, really lucky. And, you know, my department expects a lot of PAs. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know why I'm on the PA topic because um, I actually generally love PAs. But sometimes it's just like it can be someone. There's work. always yeah. It's there's like always, box truck day yeah. in the city, and you can't get to that resource, and you're an hour late to a meeting, which means you're going to be late to a fitting, and you can't find that one thing that was in the script, um, or you find the one thing in the script, and it doesn't work. Right. It doesn't fit, or it doesn't suit the actor, or it doesn't suit the, like. There's a lot of things that can happen that that make it really frustrating. Um, and so in, in some cases it is, it is a job like any other. Well, and then what, what do you find that inspires you to keep going forward? Like what are the things that get you excited? Getting new scripts. Yeah. Getting new scripts, the prospect of a new job. Um, I, that's why I do what I do. I like short-term projects. Yeah. Um, the sort of six months to nine months thing really works for me. Um, I did a couple pilots mm-hmm. just to remind myself how good I have it on orange and girls. Pilots are hard. They're just hard. Oh, yeah. You're trying to create a world. You're trying to figure out who's going to go on to be the voice in terms of the creative elements of the show. You're trying to. You've also got to like make something, yeah, that like sells it. It's like, like a whole thing. Yeah. Like, how do you explain what the show's going to be in yeah. one episode? Yeah, and everyone has to contribute so that when the sh- if the show gets picked up, then you can justify. Right. It's pilots are tough. I did one that was really hard, and I did one that was hard but good, and and so it was a nice reminder that it, it's good to be home. How do you see that things are changing in your profession? We're a lot more digital than we were. Mm-hmm. I feel like we can accomplish a lot in a day. Yeah. That do you guys still shoot Polaroids of all the outfits? Because no. I remember when I used no. to, when I, like the first couple of movies I worked on, costume department for a continuity, nope. always Polaroids. I shoot on my iPhone. It syncs to my computer. By the time I'm out of the fitting, I yeah. send photos out via email. I get a response in 35 seconds <laughs> and we move on. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's so fast. Um, I, my team will send me pictures of things from the floor of a store or from a warehouse. Be like, is this what you're looking for? And I can yes or no it rather than pull it all the way back to the shop, see right. it in person and send it back. Uh, so it's good things. Some, yeah, some really good things and some things where you're like, wow, we've just raised the bar s- 
the expectations are so high that you can do things 24 hours a day where there is a point at which the stores close. Yeah. But I physically cannot go and get that item of clothing that you've seen in a photo. You can't like hide in the fitting yeah. room until the lights go off and then yeah, you're on the exactly, inside. Exactly. <laughs> and I can't do a fitting digitally. I need right. to be there in the room with the clothes with right. the actor. So it's sort of this, it's great, but there are still some things that are, that are analog that you got to do in person. What are your hopes for what you, what you're going to do next? Like where, you know, where do you want to go? Oh man. You know, I'm going to have a big opening in my calendar next year with girls summing up this time around. So that's both exciting and sad and terrifying all at the same time. Um, Exciting because I'm hoping there's something cool and great on the horizon Mm -hmm. to fill that gap. Um, Sad because I I love the show. I really do love the show. I love our actors. I love our producers. Um, we've all kind of grown up together over the last six yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You work so you work such crazy and intense hours with yeah, people. Yeah, we spend you a lot get, of time together. It just, like, forms these bonds. Yeah. Like, like these, yeah. There's, There's probably going like postpartum <laughs> down the way. Totally I don't understand. mean any respect to, to no. real postpartum, but no. that theater <laughs> thing of, like, you know, the, the curtain goes down for the last time, and you're like, man, we did this thing. Yeah. And it was kind of epic and kind of amazing and changed my life. Yeah. I don't know if it changed somebody else's life, but I hope so, and, and now it's done. Yeah. And that's sort of the ephemeral nature of production. Um, and one of the reasons that I love what I do, because I don't, I don't need it to be permanent. In some ways it is, because it's digital and it's going to be archived and you're going to be able to watch it on demand forever, right. in, you know, Orange and Girls. Right. Um, but at the same time, there's a finite time frame where we've done it. That's, it is what it is, and let's go on and do something else. So um, I don't know what that next step is. I'm excited to have that conversation with my agent and, and just to see what's out there in the world come come you know next january maybe i am going back to orange cool for season five so that's a nice that's a nice sort of delay (laughs) that i i'm not gonna have to think about it too hard yet but i you know i'd love to get back on i don't know yeah i'm excited by the possibilities right well i mean that's the exciting thing because you never know what could come in yeah i never know and and maybe there'll be a series maybe there'll be a movie maybe it'll be something web-based like there could be some stuff out there that could be really fun cool jen rogan Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome.